Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Before we get started, hit the like button, hit subscribe, go to your podcast app, give us five stars, leave a review. You've done better. You have done been keeping good. tabs on it. You're doing better, but I expect more. Guys, big news this week. I guess we now have real, I mean, not not official, but non-official confirmation that Ron DeSantis is running because otherwise he would not have released a statement on Ukraine. So DeSantis is going to get in the race. That is a basically a done deal thing now, I believe. And he filled out a questionnaire for Tucker Carlson in which he called the war in Ukraine a territorial dispute mm. and uh, said that it was not in America's vital interest for us to be prolonging the war over there and that peace was the most important. Go to thebulwark.com and read Will Salatin's piece about this in which he unpacks the line-by-line lawyerly thing which uh, DeSantis put out. But this is interesting for lots of reasons. The first of which is because it tells us where DeSantis is positioning himself. And another of which is that I think it hints at the potential for finally a schism in the Republican and conservative world in which maybe some people will realize that they are closer to Democratic politics than they are Republican politics. Sarah, talk to me. I don't know about a schism where people say that they're closer to Democratic politics. I think that would be an overstatement. Uh, I do think... <laughs> that this is a real cleavage point, like a genuine cleavage point where you're going to get to see who believes in things and who doesn't because- Spoiler. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Does Nikki Haley believe that America has a leadership role to play in the world? I think she does. I think that genuinely matters to her. It's sort of been a big part of her career. And so if she says, as she has already done, she's been kind of- um, swimming in DeSantis's wake, right? She's trying to do things like, oh, no, not third grade. That doesn't go far enough. Fifth grade for no woke stuff in the classroom. Don't say gay. No discussion of homosexuals in the classroom. Right. Um, and honestly, I've been a little bit, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a little bit uh, cheered up by some of the pushback that DeSantis is getting. I think that this is an actually an interesting thing where, uh, you know, Donald Trump, and this, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, one of the things that we didn't, we never talked about it enough is some of the menace that came with Donald Trump. The extent to which people were genuinely afraid of him and afraid of his followers, more specifically. DeSantis does not have the same kind of menace. Uh, and, and, and the people are not afraid of him. His colleagues, his, his fellow Republicans are not afraid of him yet uh, because he doesn't have juice the same way with the followers, right? They are not going to commit crimes on his behalf. Uh, at, <laughs> They're not going to bomb your congressional uh, office. And so I think that people are much more willing to push back on DeSantis. In fact, this has been Trump's position and nobody's really pushed back against Trump. Um, but they are willing to push back against DeSantis. And so that's going to create an opportunity. I got a call from a reporter being like, is there an opportunity for one of these candidates to really define themselves by taking the, you know, anti the firmly anti-Russia position? And I was like, there is room for candidates to do that. The problem is those candidates are Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, and Mike Pompeo, who are out of step with the base. Like, Ron DeSantis is in step with the base of the party by doing this. Um, he just also knows better. This is not what he truly believes. So, Tim, I, one of the things that it strikes me when we look at, so, like, Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio have rushed out to sort of gently criticize DeSantis. And as Sarah says, you know, they're willing to go crosswise with him. So Sarah sees that as a lack of DeSantis juice, and I think that's certainly part of it. 
But I wonder, is the other part of it, or another part of it, the fact that part of conservatism inks and the Republican elites plan for DeSantis involves convincing voters that he doesn't really mean the stuff he says. Because that's what I sort of take the the Lindsey Graham and, and mm. Marco Rubio thing to be, is them going out and just sort of hinting that, like, yeah, he's just the governor of Florida. He hasn't really studied this stuff yet. And, you know, you know look, you can, you can look past all this, mm. this, you see me, ah, past all this stuff. Uh, because he doesn't, he's just saying it to get with the, you know, Oh, those those rubes out in the panhandle. Mm, I think that Jim Garrity is doing that at the National Review. I think that there are some DeSantis <laughs> fans on in the internet that are doing that. I don't think that that's what's happening with these senators. I, I think that there are two things that are happening. I think that that um, you know they would that that a few of them are just desperate for like one of their testicles to descend from their abdomen and like come back into reality and like demonstrate that they're still a man and i think that like they've got they they despite the fact that you know they were happy of the, the deal they made with trump they they still would like to be their own their own little boy uh they'd like to be a real boy for once uh, particularly your marcos <laughs> And your Lindsay's, right? So I think that there is that. There's a little bit of an ego element to this. And uh, I also think that there's a little bit of gamesmanship with DeSantis. I, I think that this is a little bit of bullying is maybe the wrong word, but kind of like trying to keep him on side, right? Like I, 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 do, I do think that they kind of think that, you know, hey, buddy, you know, we'll give you a little leash kind of go out there and do what you need to do on, on this MAGA stuff. But like, we really need to, we really need to like be against Putin on this Russian invasion. Right. And like kind of signaling to him that, because a big part of DeSantis's deal, right. And we've talked about this on this podcast is that he thinks he can go as hard MAGA as he needs to and still have the establishment bros because they're just so desperate to get rid of Trump. Right. And so I think this is them signaling to him that, like, yeah, that's true. Like, we'll go 92% of the way with you there. But, like, calling this a territorial dispute was like leaning over into Ron Paul territory. And, you know, we're far enough out from these primaries that we'll kick the tires on some of these other people if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to go this way. And so I, I think that there was a little bit of that. Uh, I, I think that's the only explanation for why so many of them, I and mean, if you looked at the, at the at the statements in the Times and and from the folks running around the Hill, I, there were like nine senators, Republican senators, that rebuked DeSantis. I mean, when was the last time nine people rebuked Donald Trump for anything? And literally, besides January sixth, you couldn't remember it, right? Um, and so I, I just think that that shows that there was kind of like a a strategic effort there to kind of send send a, send a little message down to Meatball Ron um, about about what where you know kind of where their line was and 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 by the way maybe Ron says I know you guys don't actually have a line fuck you I need to do this I'm gonna go with it anyway but I think there's that like gamesmanship is happening a little bit and that, that's how I read it Sarah the the line is ultimately drawn by the voters right it's not drawn by you know little Marco and Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell will all eventually put up with whatever the voters demand they put up with. The voters like are moving pretty substantial, right? You see this in the polling. I think you've seen it in your focus groups, right? Yeah. How would you characterize it? Anti-anti-Ukraine or anti-anti-Putin or pro like what would you say about it? Yeah. So here's what they say. And it's real clear. And like this is this is what they're getting a lot from Fox News folks too, is the, you know, we've got a lot of problems here. Uh, our border is open. We've got our own security concerns. We need to take care of our own people. And this is very much America first. 
and and I've I've talked a lot about what I say. People always say, you know, I don't always like Trump's tweets, and but I liked his policies. You say, okay, what policies? They'll say America First policies, and America First, the policies contained therein, tend to be both like no forever wars is how they would say it, and um, immigration. Sovereignty. Like those tend to be. That's right. Uh, that's, these are these are the things that this kind of America First pivots around. Some of it's the isolationist, or not isolationist, the um, protectionist um, trade policies as well, right? Which basically is what Biden is pitching to. It's like we're going to make everything in America and forget the rest of the world. Um, so a- a- anyway, that's that's what they say, and I think that then and the the these are people. There's a whole bunch bucket of these people that are that are pro-Ukraine, that were very pro-Ukraine at the beginning, but it's gone on too long for their patience level. And they are, the, like, this has been the big shift in the Republican Party over the last two decades is the extent to which the Iraq War and Afghanistan and, like, how long they went on has just completely changed. Like, now the Republicans are the ones saying, I don't want to engage in foreign conflicts and I don't want them to go on a long time and I don't have the patience for it and I don't have the stomach for it and we need to take care of things here at home. And they, But here's the thing about DeSantis. There, this, there's a big bucket of those people who believe that strongly. There's another bucket of those people that with a little leadership, if DeSantis said, we got to do something about Putin because this relates to China, this relates to America's strength in the world and we got to be strong and we got to tell these dictators no and there was a whole bucket of people that would have gone with DeSantis on that. There is somebody who does that. His his name is President of Joe Robinette Biden. But I'm just, does that I'm just not count? I'm just saying, like he could have <laughs> he could have taken the anti the Biden's not being tough enough position and Got shown leadership. And a, yeah, right. And a bunch of people, a bunch of these voters would go with him. And instead, this is I'm sorry, but this is Republican Triangle of Doom stuff, where now you've got DeSantis, who's supposed to be, you know, the more sane version of Trump. Every time you do the Triangle of Doom, I'm, I'm thinking you're about to do a different hand signal, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I actually don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're sorry, talking about. I'm sorry, keep continue. I apologize. Oh boy. Uh, Boy, the people I listening to, to this on the podcast and not getting to YouTube have just been cheated. I'm well, sorry, guys. Now I have to go. Now I'm going to ask you afterwards, what do you think that I'm doing? And is does everybody think I'm no, doing that all I the think time? It's just me. I'm sorry. Okay, great. It's just a triangle of doom uh, in which <laughs> <laughs> it is the toxic and symbiotic relationship between the right wing infotainment media, the elected officials, and the voters. And this is where Ron DeSantis coming out and taking Trump's side of this now means that 80% of the Republican Party is going is their preferences for 2024 president are or more than that uh believe we should not be involved in helping Ukraine against Russia. Yeah. And that's insane. Like that is so wild. And it was actually funny, you know, the a lot of the anti-antis, several people just like deleted their accounts yesterday. <laughs> they like suddenly took, <laughs> oh, I they saw like, that guy. <laughs> they suddenly took breaks from Twitter, productivity breaks. And Strategic it's like, silence. Yeah. Uh, just, can I just chime in on this really quick? Yeah, this, go ahead, yeah go I'm ahead. sorry. I think, but I just think this is important. The Mark Levin engagement on this is important because I, I, I do think that this is kind of an open question. It gets to the question you asked, JVL, about what the voters want. Because I kind of side with Sarah on this. I, I think that there is a quarter, maybe a quarter of the Republican base that really is like, I'm seriously basically pro-Putin, right? Like, I'm an, I, I want a strong man. We like isolationism. Fuck the Ukraine. Right? Maybe it's a third even, right? And then maybe on the other side, it's probably a similar amount. Echelon guys did a good poll on this, right? There is this middle, I think, that could be pushed into a more 
strong critique of Biden on the weakness. You know, he has dementia or whatever. He's feckless. Look at Afghanistan. And like, and like this would never have happened if we would have been tougher, right? You could imagine DeSantis going there or trying to at least do a little bit of that. And Mark Levin went, the, and it's, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, like Mark Levin does this long thread this morning about how America first is just a slogan. And these guys, like there's a little bit of chickens coming home to roost on some of this. Where like a lot of these guys kind of thought that they were going to be able to Thought that they had this monkey off their back of Trump where they had to like walk on eggshells around all this stuff and do, you know, do the Trump thing and, and you know, kind of do the seriously but not literally thing and thought DeSantis was going to be their pivot out. And yesterday was like a wake-up call to some of them. Like, it is not. Like, like he's he's going the same place as Trump and you actually don't even have the, oh, that's just, that's just Ron being a little cheeky on Twitter excuse, right? Because it was like a, you know, professional statement that Ron DeSantis, it was a stupid statement, but it was professional, right? And so... I think that is will be the interesting thing to watch play out is, is there any juice left in the Levins of the world, the people that were in the true con, you know, that came along with Trump late, but came along with him hard, you know, not the never Trump wussies, not the Jonah Goldbergs, the Mark Levins, like, do they have any juice? I don't know. So in, in DeSantis's first foray into this on Fox and Friends, that's the line he took, right? right? He took the, it was Biden's weakness of, you know, if Joe Biden wasn't president, we wouldn't have this problem. And, you know, I I stupidly thought to myself, uh, boy, this is they'll never be able to square this circle. Which is it going to be? But, of course, I'm the one who's the idiot. Why why do they have to square the circle? Why can't they just have them both? Why can't he say on the one, you know, to one audience, this is all tr- all weakness. And to the other audience, yeah, it's not in our interest in territorial dispute. No Republicans are going to hold him to account for that. I'm not sure that that's true. Like, this is one of those things where... Right. This isn't talking about litter boxes in schools. It's not talking about what the third graders are going to read and whether Tango Makes Three is the biggest existential threat to whatever. This is about the Western world order. And if you caught Marco, like Lindsey Graham, people who really cared about foreign policy, they would tell you that one of the reasons they made accommodations for Trump, right, is that they really wanted pull with him on things that matter. And they would call these the things that matter, right? right? This would matter to them. This is about, does NATO exist? Like, does the post-World War II alliance exist? Um, Because Trump wants to undo those things. And I think that the idea, and for all of our friends at National Review and all those other places, like, this stuff really is supposed to matter in ways that the woke stuff is, like, trivial. And so I just I just think that <laughs> no I, I and so yeah for some of them it is I'm I laughing just, at them I'm not laughing at you Sarah yeah, I'm I know at you're trying to be a dick and that's fine these guys deserve to be made fun of but like hey like point that, that like so many of them said this yesterday point to them like it was, I was pleasantly surprised I did not expect that they could have said nothing it's interesting I went I went back to relook at this to try the Santa statement because it was so long and, and lawyerly like you said. But he really didn't even do the Biden weakness part at all. Right. No. Right? Like, that's what he did on the Fox and Friends. He could have done both, right? In the statement, even, he could have done both. It's a long statement. Like, he could have done, the, oh, you know, sort of some throat clearing about that. Like, the only time he mentions Biden is here is on the blank check and on the, how this policy has driven Russia into a de facto alliance with China. And that's like a criticism of being too harsh on sanctions and all the right like, that Russia's felt like that they've had to use. China. So, I I mean, both times you mentioned Biden was from the isolationist kind of critique. Can we just also mention he did this on Tucker, right? In a statement to Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. And which I know Tucker like went out and asked, right? But like these guys, he played Tucker's game. Like he went Tucker's direction for Tucker for that audience. 
Like, he has decided that it is more important to him to compete for Trump's base than it is to be, like, a responsible alternative. Yeah. By the way, just one more thing. He could have replied to Tucker with a, with an eight-sentence vague bullshit response. Right? Like, he, could, you know what I mean? He could have replied to Tucker, like, Biden's so weak. Biden got us into this. And, you know, I have some concerns about how... Right? Like, like he didn't have to take... Have such an explicit... Like Ron Paul Trumpish line. Like they, they chose to do that with Tucker too. One question for both of you before we move on a, a tiny bit: What do we think the other candidates, the hawkish candidates, the Nikki Haley's, Mike Pompeo's, Mike Pence's, do as we get closer to to voting and people declaring? Do you think they lean into this, or do you think when they see the polling on this stuff, they start pulling back a little bit and hedging and and trying to downplay it? I think that they will look at the polling and I don't know that they there's much they can do. Like, this is the problem, right? If I were them, I would try to pick up the people that DeSantis is leaving on the table by taking this position by going really hard the other direction. Um, and they'll do Biden's week. We should be, we need to send a message to Russia in order to send a message to China. Somebody should be in that lane. And I think it'll give them a couple points bump to keep them, maybe even get them to double digits. Yeah, I wish one of them was stronger. And I don't really wish because yeah. I'm not for them, right? Because I think you could use this if there was one of them that was just stronger and had more credibility with the MAGA folks. I really do think that you could use this to try to get up into the teens and peel off people and then try to demonstrate some strength and see what happens, right? Like, like try to create a real, you know, a, you know, start chipping away at Ron and, and, and seeing if you can't become the alternative. But I just don't think any of them have it. Like, they all have just fundamental flaws, you know, that we've talked about over and over again. But, you know, I, I, with Mike Pompeo's being his personality and, and Pence being January 6th and Nikki just, like, just giving off such hard neocon globalist vibes. This, to me, is Nikki's play. Like, she, if she's not going to do it, then she's got no business here because she believes this. And I'll tell you, I, have I told you guys this? When we were asking the groups about Nikki, how many people say they wouldn't vote for a woman? And they do it in this way. Some people are just like, I wouldn't, like, there was like a guy who's like, I wouldn't vote for a woman. But there's a bunch of people who don't say they wouldn't vote for a woman. They say other people won't vote for a woman. Yeah. And they also say world leaders won't take a woman seriously. People are saying they wouldn't vote for a woman. Yeah, well, and there is this like inherent like, oh, people wouldn't think they were tough enough. And I was actually a little surprised because oftentimes the Republicans try to like overcompensate a little bit on these yeah, points right. and and say like, we need like our Margaret Thatcher. They don't usually reference Thatcher, but it's that kind of sentiment. But like Nikki could be that person. Like I think this is an opportunity for Nikki to be like, dictator's bad. I would take on Vladimir Putin and like to show that's her fighter. And that's and she's in an arena there where she's comfortable with the subject matter and she happens to believe it, which can give her a little bit of authenticity. One of the things that I'm watching Nikki do is try to be somebody she's not right now and it's wearing on her terribly. Everybody can smell that on, on a candidate. And so like, I don't know, this seems to me like if she doesn't grab this type of opportunity, if she doesn't try to own this lane, then there's no point to her at all. Here's why it needs to be an outsider to do this. I just don't think there's anybody to fix this is that she is in this fundamental Gordian knot where if she's like, oh, we need a strong leader that'll stand up to Putin, somebody like Donald Trump, 
who doesn't want to stand up to Putin. The fight here needs to be that, like, oh, no, we need our own kind of strong man, like a person that would have intimidated Putin from coming into Ukraine. But if that character already exists in the universe and it's Donald Trump and Donald Trump is out there saying the opposite thing, then how do you appeal to that Trump voter? It's almost as if you need kind of a new person who's, like, from outside that, who's not stuck in that world to come up and offer a different brand of, of strength which could be a woman, I think. Uh, it isn't necessarily not. But I just think Nikki is just so stuck wrapped around this axle that I, I just don't know how she how you get out of it. But I, I agree that she should try. I mean, but if the three of them are all dividing up their 15%, you know, it's just like, okay, eight, four, two. You know, there's like some strength in being in the teens. Mm-hmm. But if she's running for VP, she can't go too hard on DeSantis for this, right? Because then she become you can't have her on the ticket, right? So maybe it's Pompeo that has to do that. I mean, I just would ignore Trump, right? That's the same thing where she's like generational change. Okay, yeah. well, that's kind of about Trump. She's like- maybe saying clearly, you don't have to talk about Trump, just say clearly, like, we need someone who can stand up to dictators. Like, the whole point should be, you know, we can't cower in the face of dictators. We can't just pretend like America doesn't have a leadership role to play in the world. I don't know. I think there's, like, a very obvious way to, like, butch up her candidacy a little bit here by by being a little tougher. You know, Sarah, when you kick, it hurts more if you're wearing heels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. Two things quickly. First of all, I, I would just like to say the the other thing that DeSantis does that a lot of the America Firsters do these days is they say we should be focused on China, not on Russia. We we did on the Thursday night show, which is only for subscribers to Bulwark Plus. You should join Bulwark Plus. Ha ha. Uh, we did a whole thing with some foreign policy people about how th- there is a direct line from from Ukraine to Taiwan. And the Chinese are watching this very closely. And if America abandons Ukraine, the only thing that does is signal to the Chinese that actually making a move on Taiwan is less risky than they think. And so just as a, as a factual matter, this is wrong. But even as a conceptual matter, I don't know if you guys remember this, but one of the things we got from, from during the Trump administration was Donald Trump saying, I forget if this was reported in Bolton's book or somebody else's, but but Trump laughing at the idea that America would intervene if China moved on Taiwan. Yeah. Do you remember this? He was like, yeah, no, no way. This is, you know, it was that island over there. Nobody even knows where it is. We're not going to do anything if they they move on Taiwan. And so there is this, this fake bravado of like, yeah, we don't want to do Ukraine because we're ready to go to war over Taiwan. These guys are not going to go to war over Taiwan. Right. The America Firsters will, A, make it easier for China to move on Taiwan, and then B, if such a conflict happens, they will be against doing anything then too. Totally. And by the way, they can do this and they can get away with it because it's just too complicated of an argument. Yeah. There's some foreign policy nerd, which is like 3% of the primary electorate, maybe 2%, right, who might like follow this argument and be like, oh, okay, I don't know. I might move off DeSantis and move on to Pompeo because I actually do legitimately care about American strength. And uh, But the rest of people, if you're up there on that stage making the argument, which is like, we need to be in Ukraine because that makes us tough on China, because we need to signal to China that, <laughs> that if they intervene in Taiwan, we would beat them back there. Like People aren't following that argument. They actually don't give a fuck about Taiwan, really, in the grand scheme of things. And so these guys can butch themselves up by being like, we're going to be really tough on China. China's the real threat. They're a real foe, and we're going to be tough on them. While while the reality being, they're just slowly walking themselves into the Lindbergh foreign policy, like, permanently. Sarah, you like people. You believe Mm. in people and their innate goodness. 
there are a lot of people in our world, in Conservatism Inc., who take foreign policy very seriously, as you guys said, Tim. Your some world. Of them, me, and Sarah, me and Sarah weren't ever part of Conservatism Inc. It was a hack. Some of them behaved honorably yesterday. Some of them deleted their accounts so they wouldn't have to talk about it. Give me, as a rough percentage, of the people who are currently doing everything they can to make Ron DeSantis happen. Should he be the nominee? And should he continue with this policy uh, outlook on Ukraine? What percentage of those elites do you think will bail on Ron DeSantis and vote for the guy who is on the right side of the single most important issue in the world? Yeah, I mean, that like no one. And and you can see this. So, so I, like Ben Shapiro was instructive yesterday. Oh, I missed it. What did Ben say? Ben said, so amazing to watch all of these people who said Trump was basically Hitler now pivot to say Ron DeSantis is terrible. And I was like, this is a weird response to what DeSantis did. Ben Shapiro, former neocon hawk. So like, what is he doing? He's basically being like, ooh, I don't really know how to defend this. So I'm just going to attack people's motives for criticizing DeSantis, which, by the way, has pretty much been the go-to from this crowd, right? Which is, you guys said that Donald Trump is an existential threat. You don't get to say that about DeSantis, too. You have to line up behind DeSantis because he's the only one who can beat Trump. And unless you line up behind DeSantis, you're not serious about defeating Trump, right? This is their argument. And basically, no matter what DeSantis does, is they're going to take our frame of Trump's existential threatiness and say, well, everything Ron DeSantis says is fine because you said Trump was an existential threat, so you can't say that about DeSantis too. So when he basically takes all of Trump's same positions that made you guys think he was an existential threat, you have to support him still. And I'm going to support him still. Didn't Ben Shapiro think Trump was an existential threat? Isn't that why he started the Daily Wire? Because he got kicked out of Breitbart? I think that's what happened. Anyway, I don't know. This goes back to our, like, loving Brian Kemp argument, which is just like, really? Are you sure we have to get on board with DeSantis? Maybe you guys should try somebody else. what about Mike Pence? Have you guys tried someone else? Maybe there's someone else in the field that could beat him. Are you sure? Somebody that, like, I don't know, thinks that we should defend free people throughout the world. Maybe we should have that person and who likes vaccines, but who also hates trans kids. How about that? Could you find somebody like that? Sarah, I, I laughed and laughed and laughed on the focus group when you had the people explaining all the, the evangelical Christians who voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020 explaining why they wouldn't vote for Mike Pence when he clearly should have been the guy for them. And all of it was clearly like post facto rationalization for January 6th, but they didn't want to say January 6th. They were like, well, I don't really know anything about him. And I mean, he's kind of like Trump's Kamala Harris. And like, what does he even think about anything? I mean, I just don't even know. Ah. Yeah, I don't know anything <laughs> about Mike Pence, actually. Turns out. I, I voted for him in two <laughs> national elections, but uh, I don't know a thing about the guy. <laughs> and that's why I can't support him. I thought this episode was so good. Was really good. This observation that McKay made about Mike Pence gave the permission structure, like built the permission structure for Donald Trump, thus rendering the need for Mike Pence obsolete. Yes. Because if, if, if you have now convinced voters that actually morality doesn't matter and it doesn't matter if you're faithful, you can be a thrice married adulterer who pays off porn stars. And Mike Pence told you that was fine. He stood next to the guy. So I don't need Mike Pence anymore because yeah. you just give me the biggest, brashest, 
BSer who's going to take the fight and put immigrants on planes. And I was told that that's morally justified, that that's fine. Mike Pence told me that. So that's what I want. Yeah, so you, you can get that show, The Focus Group, with Sarah Longwell by going to thebulwark.com. All right, Sarah, you were not prepped for this, but you you will be able to follow along just fine. In the green room, Tim made a comment to me which struck me as super interesting, and so I just want to talk about it. I am interesting. Yeah, so interesting. I was going to say, doubt it. Uh, <laughs> Tim said that he thought that Trump was doing a high-risk strategy by going so aggro against DeSantis so early. Yeah. I think the opposite. I think that is his best play. Tell me why you think it's risky. It might be his best play. I guess I, I don't know that Trump can help himself, right? So I don't actually know if this is really like strategy right. in the sense of, you know, Rovian tactics or whatever, like trying to <laughs> triangulate. But I think this is just Trump's, you know, id. But it is a strategy, like whether or not he has control over it's a strategy or not. And, and I just think it's high risk, high reward because he's putting himself in this situation. DeSantis isn't actually going to be in this race. Now, Trump, I don't know if you saw this, Trump Super PAC is suing DeSantis today because Florida has a resign to run law. And they were going to fix that in this legislature where DeSantis could stay governor and run. But <laughs> but they haven't fixed it yet, right? And because DeSantis doesn't want them to fix it at the beginning of the legislature because then everybody's going to be like, oh, you're running, right? So they were going to save it for the end of the legislature. So he's got this period of time where he can't run for president legally. And so Trump has sniffed that out and they're suing him over it. So he's got this period, assuming this lawsuit isn't successful. They've got this period between now and whatever, early summer, the end of the legislative session and the when Ron runs in, where you can tell DeSantis is just going to ignore Trump, right? You can already see it, right? Like DeSantis isn't going to engage until he absolutely has to. And so Trump has made the decision, I think, that he's going to try to beat him before he gets in, right? And just like define him. And he's out there on stage in Iowa this weekend, like attacking him over ethanol and social security and calling him sanctimonious. I mean, he, he's Trump is in full on... Like, we are two weeks from the Iowa caucus level. Like, I've got DeSantis is like, you know, skin in my mouth, like, level attacks, right? <laughs> and I find it just a little bit risky. And I just want, I don't know if he's thought about this. Because, like, if it doesn't work, right, if DeSantis launches in June and let's say pops to the lead, which I think is possible, right? Like, he launches in June and he pops to the lead and Trump's already emptied the chamber and he'll just make up shit and he'll come up with more shit to attack DeSantis over. But like, it just might give him a little bit of a whiff of weakness. And you can see the DeSantis fanboys pushing this, right? You know, the, the Josh hammers, like if you're, you know, suffering through conservative Twitter, you, you see this, like that's obviously not going to work with Trump's core 20% or 30%, whatever that number ends up being. But might that work enough with like this kind of key swing demo where it's like, God, this guy is kind of pathetic. He's been like, he doesn't have it anymore. He's been throwing these punches for five months and they haven't landed and DeSantis is now beating him. I don't know. I always worried about that in the Jeb campaign. I was like, the Super PAC, which I did not support this, by the way, the Super PAC went hard at Marco early, which we didn't have control over. And I complained about all the time. A lot of Marco fans still hold it against me. And because my point was that like, if Marco passes us in the polls, we're fucked. Because it's like we've already shot all these bullets and it looks pathetic, right? Now, Trump has a lot more strength than Jeb did. There are a lot of other differences. But that one similarity, it just strikes me as a little bit risky. Sarah, what do you think? I've been talking about this particular point a lot. One of the things about Trump and DeSantis, and this is by design, is that the voters who like, they like them both. And so Trump going after DeSantis is like going after a lot of people's new shiny toy. And there's a lot of people out there that I hear this. I hear this in the focus groups kind of grumbling like, 
I don't really like the way he's attacking DeSantis. Republicans shouldn't attack each other. And DeSantis has sort of went to the extent that he's said anything back. He's like, you know, I'm not out there smearing other Republicans. There's a balance, right? Because part of Trump's attractiveness and the people who are always Trump, the reason they're always Trump is that Trump is not a politician. That's what they love about him. He's not a politician and he's attacking the establishment. And part of Trump's attacks are about saying that DeSantis is the establishment because he wants his 30% to hate Ron DeSantis, right? To hate him, to be after him probably to throw a little bit of menace that way. I'll tell you the kinds of things Trump's going to start doing. He's going to go after DeSantis's wife. And because, you know, in the, not to bring up the focus group podcast again, but when Tara Palmieri was <laughs> it's on. It's a good podcast. It's, it's great podcast. When Tara Palmieri was on and we were doing the Trump DeSantis episode, one of the things she talked about is how Trump's strategy right now is that he thinks that DeSantis is not very good at this game. And that if he baits him enough and goes hard at him, that DeSantis will like crumble. Yeah. And so, like, he's going to go after his softest spots, like his wife, who is basically the only person DeSantis seems to get along with and who he trusts as an advisor. Imagine Trump going after her. She, like, recently had breast cancer. That is a, a highly, highly risky move for Trump. And I think it is strategic. I think he does know what he's doing is to bait DeSantis in, get him into a, a dogfight that nobody can go lower than Trump. Trump goes low, really wounds DeSantis and also makes him look weak. That's why he goes after him as a groomer already. Anyway, I think it's risky, but I'm also not sure that it's not also potentially productive for him. I think it would be a less risky strategy if, if there was a chance DeSantis didn't get in. Yeah. If there was a chance you could intimidate him out of the race like this. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, I think this would have been a very smart strategy then. But that ship sailed. Like DeSantis is getting it. I hate to say that I don't believe these voters when they say things like, I don't like... But I, I don't fucking believe them when they say like, oh, I don't like that he's smearing other Republicans. Where were these voters over the last seven years when Donald Trump's entire shtick was not really that he would fight the socialist Democrats, but that he would fight other Republicans? Yeah, but they didn't like any of those Republicans. They liked DeSantis. <laughs> so that's what it really is, right? It's a don't smear the guy we like. Yeah. But they liked George W. Bush just fine. Not by the end. They didn't like W. by the end. The place where the party has changed the most on like something that looks like a policy is on the foreign policy and it's because of George W. Bush. And that's why Jeb never had a shot. Like people didn't realize how much the Bush legacy was now just a non-starter with these voters. All right. I mean, I I guess that's the case. But I have another question here, Sarah. So one of the things you, you have always said, and which I, I take very much to heart, is that one of Trump's superpowers was just repetition. If you just said the same three things over and over a million times, Eventually, Republican voters just believed him on it. Mm -hmm. Is that a danger for DeSantis? The thing is, is like Tim's question is like, is it a risk? I think it's highly risky. I also think it can work. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that works in part because Donald Trump is going to try to paint Ron DeSantis as a globalist cuck. This is why Ron DeSantis is taking this position in part. Ron DeSantis does not want to play into Donald Trump's framing of him. Because now Donald Trump's complaining, right? You see what he's he basically me. says, like, he's copying me. He just does everything that I do because Trump wanted the differential, mm -hmm. right? He wanted to have that that's lane right. to himself. And DeSantis is trying to crowd him out of it. And that's making Trump angry. And DeSantis doesn't want to play into any of that establishment stuff. And it could work. Like, I do hear some of this from some of the Trump voters in there where they're like, I don't know, Ron DeSantis is kind of like a regular politician. And, like, that stuff is is poison with the base, the regular politician. That's a really good insight on how Trump 
is like lashing out because he wanted he wants DeSantis to get sucked into the Marco Lindsay element. Mm-hmm. Like you know, DeSantis is sort of getting pulled from both sides on this. I don't know. It seems to me like a pretty viable line of attack, right? Here's this guy who was talking like Paul Ryan five minutes ago, and now he copies me. You can't trust him. He's going to get in there, and he's going to be the just like all the yeah, other. Be right back to being Paul Ryan again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Silicon Valley Bank goes under because of woke DEI policies. Guys, can we talk about how woke is the worst thing in the world and it's destroying everything it touches and go woke, go broke. Or can we talk about how people who say woke, it's it's basically a marker of low IQ. No. I'm really mad about this, actually. So can I go? This can I wait? And Sarah didn't look like she was happy to I, talk about this topic. So yeah, I didn't even know this topic. We it were was in the Slack. <laughs> uh, not my party is on this topic this week. So I also I'm not going to try to pretend on this podcast to be a finance expert. Wait, could people go to thebulwark.com to get not my party? They can. It's out on Thursday, Ooh. so it won't be out till tomorrow. Or they can go to Snapchat.org. And so I, I had to do a lot of reading about this, and I called my friend Josh Barrow, who's got a good newsletter as well, and I have him guesting a little bit on not my party this week to help explain the math particulars about this. And here's the thing that that is same as it ever was story with the Republicans is you could imagine a substantive critique of the Biden administration that like economic experts might disagree with, some might agree, some might disagree, but it would be legitimate, right? They would say, hey, they overstimulus the economy. The economy got so hot had to jack up interest rates really fast. That caused these banks that made these certain bets on low interest rates to go under. And maybe these bank CEOs made stupid decisions. But like, you know, it was the Biden inflation economy that like really caused this. And now they're bailing them out and screw these guys. Okay. Yeah. You know, you could disagree with that explanation, but that would at least be a legitimate critique. Like two nerds on the House Finance Committee are making that argument. <laughs> right? Like nobody is saying that. And you watch Fox all day and it's like, these guys are woke. The problem is that they had Lesbian Awareness Day. Sorry, Sarah. That's the reason why this went under was Lesbian Awareness Day. They, they did Pride. Is that month. a day? Yeah. Your people have a lot to answer for, Sarah. Or maybe it was a week. I don't know. <laughs> a There's week? A, I don't oh know. Something, they had some kind of lesbian acknowledgement thing at this bank, and that was the reason. Play a softball game. And so some of it's ridiculous that you can laugh at. But really, I just the thing that bugs me is that it's so ridiculous that you want to laugh at it. But like, there's an underlying like overt racism that they don't want to acknowledge is real. Like Ron DeSantis, who is, you know, conceivably the nominee, goes out there and says that this bank was distracted by their diversity initiatives. And that's why this happened. Like, what? Was Enron distracted by their commitment to diversity and inclusion? Like, where it was fucking, you know, Bear Stearns? Like, this is so stupid. And the Wall Street Journal guy is like, oh, oh, I'm going to take this racist dog whistle and just going to go straight for it. He writes in the, in the journal, he's like, oh, their board was 45% women, one black, one LGBTQ+, and two veterans. And I'm not saying that 12 white guys wouldn't have had this problem, but maybe they were a little too distracted. It's like, you're blaming this on the one black? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, really? And this is in the Wall Street Journal editorial bit. It's just like 1960s level shit. It's funny, but it also is overt racism. And for some reason, it's like, oh, if you say that, then, oh, yo, no, you're a woke liberal and blah, blah, blah. But like, no, like these guys have now turned their anti-woke like nonsense into like making overt racist arguments as their go-to. Anytime something bad happens, they could have legitimate arguments for why the libs fucked something up. And it's a Silicon Valley bank, for Christ's sakes, and it's a Democratic president. But instead of that, they all 
immediately go to, no, it's the one black. That's the problem. Fuck you. The truth is, the Silicon Valley Bank thing is not all that difficult to understand. I didn't need to call Josh Barrow, you're saying? To, I should have had JVL just do it? I mean, I could have. Yeah, okay. but, uh, but the point is, think back to the 2008 financial collapse. Like, that was actually quite difficult to understand. It involved tranches. It involved exotic financial instruments and the way in which subprime mortgages were then repackaged and resold as loans. Like, that's that's reasonably hard to understand, I think. I mean, I would assume that anybody who is capable of living as an adult in the world in America could probably get there if they spent an hour researching it. But, you know, I don't want to burden people too much. I had to watch The Big Short like three you times. Watch The Big Short a couple times. The Silicon Valley Bank is a very simple explanation about like how banks work in terms of they take in things and then they give out things. And when they take in things, it is at an interest rate which is fixed. And when they give out things, it's an interest rate that's variable and they can get caught at a trap if interest rates suddenly move, right? It's not hard. If the people, the great and good American people, are so flippin' stupid <laughs> – that they look at this and say, yeah, I guess it was woke. Huh, the Wall Street Journal editorial page told me it was woke, so that's what happened. Bum, bum, bum. If that's what happens with the voters, then, like, what, what's the point of any of this, Sarah? And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, JVL, real people have real-world problems. They they have kitchen table issues that they got to sit. They don't have time to sit and learn about interest rates. The point is we can make them seem stupid and racist, for making that argument, right? Like, can't you make that argument to the voters? Absolutely. I think part of what's happened over the last few weeks that we've seen coming out of elite media, maybe Fox News or whatever, the contempt with which the elected officials and the sort of news media holds these voters is unbelievable, right? And like, all I got to do is say the, I love one black, <laughs> one black. <laughs> you say that to How them. How did that get through the uh, editors? It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. anytime you find it's, yourself writing one black, maybe take take a step away from the Google Doc and come back and come up with a different way to phrase it. Yeah, it's wild stuff. But this is this is how stupid they think they are. They can't because you forget even who you blame. We should be having a conversation about these financial institutions and saying, probably shouldn't do this. This is a problem. And somebody said this, made this observation. I think it's a really good one that Republicans have been feeding their voters this woke stuff now for so long that they've like lost the muscular ability like or the intellectual ability to make substantive policy points. It's like now it's such a crutch. It's such a yeah. a place where they go every single time that it's like, well, this is just the thing I'll say for everything. And I no longer need to have, you know, it's like the woke military. Like, are you going to have a foreign policy? Are you going to have a policy on economics? Are you going to But it's think working about for them, Sarah, isn't it? I mean, the crutch is a crutch because it works. It actually helps you walk. And it, this is helping Republicans. I mean, they lost the 2022 election despite all fundamentals in their favor. Fair. Far too many people go for this. Far too many. I mean, and obviously they still did kind of win the House, but they dramatically underperformed with historical factors in mind, in part because they are a ridiculous party that no longer has any affirmative policy beliefs whatsoever. Our friend who disabled his account took a mental health break, said that I was unserious in one of my critiques of Ron DeSantis. For this reason, I have articulated this idea we all have to support Ron DeSantis because we said Trump's an existential threat. But like all of these people used to be able to write about tax policy effectively. They used to be able to write about foreign policy effectively. Wall Street Journal editorial page, the whole point of it was to talk in depth about financial things. And so like 
Yeah. And now people have lost the ability to govern seriously. And it's becoming, I think, a place where you get pretty scared for Republicans to be running anything because they're not serious people anymore. Can I ask you guys a question? The asymmetric nature of this bothers me, and I don't understand the explanation for it. If we just did this thought experiment, if Kamala, let's say that like a conservative-oriented company, like an oil company had gone under or had a spill, or let's say there's an oil spill, and Kamala comes out and says, you know, I think the reason for this is because they are transphobic. And like they have white yeah. privilege mm. or whatever. Structural racism caused yeah, this. Yeah, structural spill. racism was the reason for this oil spill. She would be mocked. There would be withering mocking on the right, obviously, but even among her own team. Even CNN would be kind of like, oh, Kamala, I don't know. Like maybe there's some other reasons here. We don't need to fall on the culture war for everything. And she gets this treatment, right? DeSantis isn't getting that treatment. Like DeSantis went out and gave the stupidest possible explanation for this bank crash. And, you know, some of us are, but, like, people aren't really out there being like, DeSantis is a dummy. He's too stupid to talk. <laughs> like, like he can't even <laughs> say a sentence, right? Like, that's how the treatment Kamala would be getting. Why is that? Like, I, I really don't Tim, know. I understand. I have the answer to this. Because of structural racism. <laughs> no, I have the answer to this. And the answer is, is because of the voters. Like, Democratic voters would not believe that sort of thing and would make fun of Kamala Harris because they would have serious questions about, like, well, how did the oil spill happen? Who is responsible for it? What can we do to clean it up? Is there legislation we could pass going forward to prevent the next kind of one of these accidents? And Republican voters don't have any preferences. In fact, in fact, their preferences run the opposite. Why is the Wall Street Journal page devolved into this? Because the readers of the Wall Street Journal page are not interested in that shit anymore. The readers of the Wall Street Journal editorial page want the woke stuff. And so it's it's all market response. This is, the, this is what the people want, it's the Republican people. And so that's what their leaders are giving them. Yeah, but that's because they're all 65-year-old executives in companies that are now dominated by Gen Zers who are changing the rules on them and they're annoyed. Yeah. Ugh, it's more I'm than annoyed. just them. It's the people who are watching Fox News. And the, <laughs> I'm fucking is, annoyed. Sarah, you and I talked about this on The Secret Show last week, yeah. uh, which is that it's the asymmetric nature of the two parties right now. Like the Democrats go out and propose a bunch of things and we want to lower the price of insulin and we're going to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure and we think it's important to the world order for Ukraine to win uh, and defeat Russia's aggressive war. And the Republican Party comes back with, your local school district has litter boxes in the bathrooms. The Republican Party's argument is like there are trans people performing a drag show at a hotel in Miami. And so you, sir, in Mississippi should vote for us. That's it. Right. And it is an asymmetric political arrangement. And if the voters go for that, then like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to push back just like I did on The Secret Show a little bit, which is, you know, why did Hillary Clinton lose the election? A lot of Democrats want to tell you sexism. So then how do you explain the difference between how DeSantis gets treated versus how a hypothetical Kamala would get treated in this situation? Well, I do think that some of it is racism and sexism. Uh, like, I do think that's some of it. Uh, but I also think they have different voters. Like, I think okay. JBL's right about JBL and I do agree on, like, the voting piece is extremely important. I tend to blame them less, though, because I think the leadership and the media is so corrupting and, like, poisoning them all the time and helping to exacerbate things. Right. Again, like, I think if DeSantis had taken the opposite position, like, we should be being tougher on Russia, like, that would have made a difference. Like, all the voters wouldn't have been like, oh, no, I'm going to vote for Trump now. DeSantis is an idiot. A whole bunch of people would be like, America, hell yeah. yeah. People are influenced by this. 
Well, and the leaders do matter just in the sense of just if you just use this hypothetical, had Kamala had done this, on MSNBC, there'd be some people that would defend her and say, yeah, that's right. You know, there'd be a couple hosts, but then there'd be some hosts that would be like, what the hell is Kamala talking about, right? Like there would be a little bit of right. both, right? And so that's not perfect or whatever. You know, there's certainly some groupthink in any group, but um, you couldn't find a person on Fox except maybe the one token live on the cycle or whatever it's called, the five, you know, who would go out and be like, is Ron being a little bit stupid here, right? You know, like there's no elite effort to halt for accountability on this stuff. All right, listen, uh, it's been a good show, long show. Everybody, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button for us. Go to the podcast app, please, once you're done listening to this. Give us the five stars, and then go to thebulwark.com. Sign up for Charlie Sykes' Morning Shots. It's a free newsletter. It's fantastic. It sets the table for your day every single morning. You get my newsletter, which Sarah Longwell sometimes endorses and sometimes even reads. And, uh, what about our other podcast? Come back on Sunday. The new Next Level. Next Level Part 2. Bye. Bye. Bye.